Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have Dr. Robert Glover. He is the author of No More Mr. Nice Guy, a proven plan for getting what you want in love, sex, and life. He holds a PhD in marriage and family therapy, and he himself is a recovering nice guy. As a result of over 30 years of clinical work with countless men and women, he has become widely recognized as the leading authority on the nice guy syndrome. And we're going to talk to him today all about that. Welcome to the show. Al, thank you. Thanks for your invitation. You know, it's funny. I found out about you because I was speaking with a friend who identified himself as a people pleaser and was noticing that this was a problem in relationships. And as he started talking about it, I said, well, let me ask you something. I said, do people, I'll change his name for the podcast, but I said, do do people throughout your life keep telling you, oh, the problem is, John, you're just too nice. And he goes, oh my gosh, all the time, all the time. (laughs) And I said to him, and I go, yeah, that's not a compliment that means you're a liar. And he looked at me and he goes, oh my God, that's what the author of the book I'm reading said. And I said, what book are you reading? And then he told me what you're reading. And I I had done a post on this on my Instagram because, you know, that's the way I look at it. But let's get into how, what was, how did you, you said you were a reform, you're a reformed people pleaser. So what was life like? Like, how did, how, what was your world like before you kind of figured this out? Well, uh, I was a liar. <laughs> So, (laughs) yeah, your friend is exactly right, and you're right as well. Um, And, and yeah, I I tell people I'm a recovering nice guy, and if if you had met me 30 years ago, I would have told you I'm a nice guy. I I would have said I'm one of the nicest people you'll you'll ever want to meet, and I thought that was a good thing. And um, primarily, I think I I was a combination of several things, which is most of the nice guys and nice girls whom I meet are are a combination of of several factors, not just one. I'm, you know, I'm a fairly easygoing, uh, pleasing, you know, generous guy just by nature. Um, I was trained by my mother to be different from my father, who was kind of an angry, selfish, self-centered, moody kind of guy. My mother was a nice girl. She was a pleaser. I also grew up during the 60s and 70s where I heard a lot of the angry messages directed at men. And I thought, well, I don't want to be one of those guys that all the women are so angry at. So, uh, I, I was indeed a pleaser, and, and it showed up most noticeably in my relationships uh, with women. But that's also where the problems showed up most noticeably was in my relationships with women as well. Let's talk about some of the behavior and characteristics uh, and perhaps specific examples of people pleasing that you might have pulled in relationships where you felt where you were inauthentic. Uh, can you give us an example? Well, let me first kind of define my definition of a nice guy. And and it's basically, and I'm going to speak, I'll use the term nice guy, but I'm speaking to men and women as well. Um, But a nice guy doesn't believe he is okay just as he is. And he thinks he has to become something else for people to like him, love him, to help him get his needs met. So he's got to become what he believes other people think he wants to be. And at the same time, he has to hide anything about himself that he thinks other people might have a negative reaction to. And this often includes his needs, his wants, his sexuality, certain behaviors that he thinks people might have negative reaction to. And that's why you hit the nail on the head. He is fundamentally inauthentic. He's, he's a liar. He's not himself. And and as you can imagine, that 
in terms of relationships specifically, uh, how that shows up is that you can never depend on the nice guy. You can never really know uh, what he's feeling, what he wants. Uh, is something bothering him? Um, nothing is ever really clear until often something happens out of the blue. And this is what used to happen to me. In fact, I, I started working on myself when I was in my second marriage. And, um, you know, I thought I was such a nice guy. I treated my wife well. I was raising her kids. I treated her better than her ex. Uh, I, I tried to make her happy, tried to please her. And um, and then I, she would tell me, well, you know, everybody thinks you're such a nice guy, but you can be a real ass to me. You know, you, you can put me down. You can make cutting remarks. You won't follow through on what you say. I won't know something's bothering you until you blow up about it. And she says, you need to go get some help. She says, I would rather live with an asshole because at least I know an asshole is going to treat me bad all the time. It's consistent. <laughs> you treat me well. And then out of the blue, you do something so hurtful and I don't see it coming. And and that really was one of the biggest core issues for me in the relationship. That's very interesting because that goes to something that I, I would love to <clears throat> title this a chapter in a book someday called The False Sense of Hope for Consistency, right? Uh, that's kind of what can happen in these kind of codependent situations where, you know, they're, they're good for a while, right? Like, oh, hey, you know... Um, John's been great lately. Things have been great lately. Then something falls, right? And it, it keeps dipping and you're hoping for consistency and it never shows up. And this is that false hope there. And then I wonder too, what was it from, from the side of a people pleaser? I imagine as well, because, um, even though I'm not a people pleaser, I dealt with some shame in my life about, um, I have a little bit of a physical disability and I used to have shame about sharing it in intimate relationships because I feared being rejected, etc. So if you're a people pleaser and you're fearful of expressing your true self or opinion or whatever, Whatever it is, um, because you're fearful that you might get rejected for it, then I'm assuming you can't trust the other person's love for you either because you know they're loving someone that you haven't told them you even are. Does that make sense? <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah, the people listening might have to sit with that for a moment. But yeah, let, let, let me say how that manifests with a nice guy. Is it because nice guys don't believe they're lovable just as they are? And don't I, like, I, I used to think to myself, well, any woman would be lucky to have me, but I didn't know why any woman would want me. And, and it's that same paradox that I thought, well, I'm, I'm such a nice guy, a woman would be lucky, but I don't believe she would want me just for who I am. And so typically what nice guys do, and, and I talk about this in the book, is they operate by what I call three covert contracts. And covert meaning that they're hidden or unconscious. The nice guy usually is not aware of the contracts and nobody else is either. But the first covert contract is if I'm a good guy, then I will be liked and loved. And there's always an if-then proposition. So if I'm a good guy, then I will be liked and loved. Second, if I meet everybody else's needs without them having to ask, then they will meet my needs without me having to ask. And third, if I do everything right, then I'll have a smooth, problem-free life. That's that consistency you were talking about. But none of these contracts work. We don't live in a smooth, problem-free world. People can't read our minds to know what our needs are. They're, they don't even know we gave the, because we expected something back. And just being a good guy or a good girl, whatever that is, is not going to make people love you or like you. In fact, as I talk about in No More Mr. Nice Guy, people are attracted to other people's rough edges, to the things about us that make us unique, that make us different, that, that make us interesting. It's so interesting. I've been on the, I'm, I'm the opposite of a people pleaser, but I have been on the other side of it. And it's, 
it's tough when you later realize. I actually, many years ago, uh, after a relationship was over, I said to the person, I said, you know, why did you tell me X, Y, and Z at the beginning, all these things you love to do that turns out you hate and you don't even like to do? Like they said they loved hiking or whatever it was that I liked, right? Yeah. And that guy literally said to me, he goes, the most honest answer, he said, because I wanted you to like me, I told you what I thought you wanted to hear. Exactly. That, and that's I a just nice wanted us. I just wanted to fall to the ground for that person. Um, that yeah. That that's that's the second covert contract you mentioned to me appears to be the most alarming. Can we go through that one? Well, it it it, it totally is. And here, going back to where nice guys aren't so nice, is that it's totally manipulative. Right. While the nice guy has no awareness of the fact that he's being manipulative. He thinks he's being giving and generous and caring. But all the while, there are strings attached to all the, everything that he gives. Probably the number one thing that the nice guy wants in return is to be appreciated, to be noticed, for the person to be grateful, for them to tell him how amazing he is, blah, blah, blah. Um, and in return, they, they do uh, want the person to read their mind and give back to them just like they read their mind. And maybe all the stuff they were giving the person wasn't even anything the person wanted or needed. Um, but now the nice guy thinks, hey, I've kept my side of the contract. How come you're not keeping your side of the contract? And to make matters even worse, nice guys often pick the very people who are least capable and least likely to help them get their needs met and then give to them, hoping that they will give back. And nice guys tend to be terrible receivers. It makes us feel guilty. It makes us feel like we're doing something wrong if we have a need and 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 you you, you are giving to us like like we're gonna be we're gonna be in trouble or we're gonna owe you something. So it, it really gets toxic. So it's almost like you're rejecting the thing that you kind of are subconsciously doing this all to begin with, right? I mean, uh huh, exactly. This sounds like a really brutal hamster wheel. I I know you now, and this can come up in any area. It can come up in work, not speaking up, not being people pleasing, any kind of friendships or relationships. Right? There's people that are barreled over in friendships too. But yes, this is really problematic in in relationships. Tell us some other ways um, that you've seen either through your own life or through experience of working with other couples, men and women. Some other examples. I mean, it, it could be something as simple. I even had a friend who uh, used to do this and he described it as like, look, I had low self-worth and so I would do whatever I could to get the girl to like me or love me or sleep with me or whatever it was. And he goes, and it could be anything from she would say, I would love to go out for Chinese food today. And he'd be like, yeah, that sounds great. Even though he hated Chinese food and he didn't want to go. Like it could be something really small, right? And, and then it could be big. What are some other examples where people might be able to start to identify, am I a people pleaser? Because if you don't know you are one, I mean, if yeah. people keep telling you you're too nice, they're all, you know, this happens because you're too nice. Mostly there's victim, there, there's a victimhood there. What are some other identifiers we can kind of wrap our hand around? Well, I know um, when, when I... After I'd done quite a bit of work on myself and then ended up getting divorced from my second marriage and got out into the single dating world, um, I, I, I met some nice girls. So I actually got to feel what it felt like to be on the other side of that. And, you know, I would say, well, hey, uh, what do you think? You want to go do this? And, you know, they'd say, well, whatever you want or sure, you know, if you want to. And 
or I'd think, well, something might be on their mind or bothering them. So I'd say anything up. Oh, no, no, everything's fine. And, and it, it, it didn't take me very long to start having a lot of empathy for both of my first two wives of how when I was in the relationship, I wouldn't say what was wrong with me because I didn't want to start a fight. I didn't want to upset them. So there's that avoidance of conflict. And there's that, that as you mentioned, people pleasing, trying to do whatever you think the other was ever going to make them happy, whatever it is that they want to do. Uh, another pattern that I see frequently with nice guys, and you mentioned like the guy not saying he didn't like Chinese, is is that they provide absolutely no leadership whatsoever in a relationship. They're, That's they're, a great they're, point. They're, they're total followers. It's, it's kind of like, you know, holding their finger up in the air to see which way the wind's blowing and say, well, you know, do you want to do that? And and one of the things I, I, I tell men, because I've heard this enough from women, is, you know, when guys say, well, you know, what do you want to do tonight? Uh, you want to go out? You want to see a movie? What do you want to eat? Where do you want to go? And and women keep telling me they hate that. They hate it when the guy won't just say, "Hey, you want to go get Chinese?" Or how about let's go see this movie? You know, there's there's you know you leave room for negotiation and flexibility and and choosing what makes both of you happy. But to just leave everything out there for the other person to decide. And here's the irony: nice guys think they're really being nice. Hey, I'm giving you the choice. I'm giving you the option. You get to decide. But often the person on the other side of that just feels burdened that everything is up to them to make the decisions. And in my experience, most women don't want that burden all the time to have to make all the decisions. 100%. And I guess this would go into, you know, kind of alfing up, right? Getting rid of this people pleaser and becoming more of a leader and essentially more inherently a man, Um, you know what I mean? Man up, right? Um, We, it's so true. We, uh, and I'll, I'm wondering if this is the case, because it seems to me from what I've seen out there that it seems more often than not that people pleasers choose the very strong non-people pleasing women, which is kind of the wrong <laughs> choice there because, because A, those women could have a tendency, if uncoached alphas, to barrel over uh, a beta people pleaser type, right? And that's not a good dynamic. Um and then they lose themselves and aren't feeling protected and safe because they don't have a strong man there who's an equal and or, you know, even more decisive. Does that make sense? Is that something well, you see too? It, well, it makes perfect sense. And yes, you've described the the, the most common relationship pattern. As, as you mentioned, my background's in marriage and family therapy. So I've worked with a lot of couples and I've co-created my own relationships, uh, almost always with strong women. Um, and, and ironically, I think I was attracted to the strong women because you know, there's that there was that part of me, the pleaser part, the one to please them and and, you know, assumed that, that they would take the lead. But every one of those strong women at some point or another communicated they did not want to be in charge. Um, they, as you said, they wanted me to man up as one ex-girlfriend used to say, Hey, there's only room for one girl in this relationship and it's me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and my, my second wife, you know, would say, Hey, I, at times I'm just a little girl making noise. When, when you get all like bent out of shape and upset when I'm upset about something, she goes, it makes me feel unsafe. And she says, if I don't know you can stand up to me, how do I ever know you'll stand up for me? Oh, that's such a great quote. I, Really want that to sink in for the audience. That's can you repeat that one? Uh, how do I know? How can I? How can I know if you'll never stand up to me? How will I know that you can stand up for me? Mm-hmm. And that's and that, that's really confusing for a nice guy because 
most of us have been raised, we don't want to be that bad man. We don't want to be that controlling guy. We don't want to be that asshole, the jerk, the abusive man. And to know how to actually consciously show up and lead, to have a point of view, to have an opinion, to have an idea, to have a, uh, you know, hey, how about this? Um, we, we don't know, you know, where that sweet spot is where we're actually showing up and being a full-grown conscious adult with wants and needs and wishes or being that that controlling, uh, you know, the, being that guy that, that most nice guys try not to be. How does one move into this? I mean, obviously, get your book and read it. Um, but but how, do, how does one, male or female, start to move towards, is it just practicing small, authentic moments like, okay, you know, at, deciding what you want to do? Like, where do you start? Or how do you, I, mean, I guess you'd recognize it because patterns keep happening. Just, you know, where does someone begin if they are listening to this and they're like, you know, I know I'm a people pleaser and I need to stop this. So how do I start? Okay. Here's what I suggest is that I, I tell nice guys, nice girls, don't try to do this alone. You probably did not develop these internalized beliefs and they usually developed at a very young age where you thought you had, as like I said, to become something different or hide something. You internalize these from from inaccurately from experiences you had in childhood. Um, either, you know, mom was sad, dad was angry, parents were fighting, big brother had more needs than you, whatever it might be, you internalized. Why, well, I, I better never be a moment's problem. You know, I, I better hide my needs and wants. So we did not develop this belief system, this roadmap, this paradigm. We didn't develop it in isolation. And because of its unique nature, we probably won't kick it in isolation either. Um, we actually, and I, I tell people, you know, go get a coach, go join a group, go, go get a therapist, um, go talk to your, 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 your pastor, your rabbi, your priest, whatever, but find a safe place to go start practicing being you, revealing you, revealing your shame, your fears, the things about you that you hide, the things you don't tell the truth about. Start putting things out there and start getting a more accurate feedback of who you are, that, that, you, that you're okay as you are. You don't have to hide anything or become anything. So start getting more accurate feedback that your needs and wants are important. Um, start getting more accurate feedback that it's okay to make yourself a priority. Um, that I have found that takes outside resources to help a person do that. So that's the first thing I always say. Don't try to do it alone. And don't try to make your safe person or your safe group um, your husband, wife, or a family member. Often you're going to be afraid of them not liking the you that you show them. And and they may indeed have some investment in kind of encouraging you to be like you are and not to change how you are. They're, they have some investment in that as well. So go find safe people. And, and first thing I did is I joined a 12-step group. And um, it was really a, a transformative experience because for the first time in my life here, you know, I thought I was a nice guy. I grew up in a fundamental Christian church. Uh, I, I'd been a minister for eight years. I had two degrees in religion. I thought I was a good guy. I thought I was an honest guy. And I got in this 12-step group and for the first time in my life just started revealing everything about me that I'd never told anybody. You know, thoughts, feelings, wants, dark impulses, past behaviors. I just, start, I just started going every week and it was kind of like, man, this is fun. I, I was getting up at 6.30 to go to this 12-step group at 6.30 in the morning 
And I was actually looking forward to it because it was so liberating to just go put it all out there. And then everybody in the group would go, oh, thanks for sharing, Robert. And, you know, that was it. Nobody got upset. Nobody got a look of terror or horror on their face. It was absolutely liberating. So go find a safe place. Start revealing you. Everything that you don't want to reveal about you, start talking about it. You know, it's interesting that in the spirit of not wanting to cause conflict or a confrontation, that in itself causes conflict and confrontation. I mean, it's, you, you it's almost like every endeavor backfires in this scenario. Like everything that you think the reasoning behind what you're hiding or whatever is, is actually all backfires. And I guess that's where you end up, right? When you hit the bottom and you go, damn it, I'm a people pleaser. Um and I think that that, I'm sure this leads to what I would assume, and maybe this is the, hey, nice guys are also assholes part, which is passive aggressive behavior. Um, you know, well, uh, being, res- res- having the resentment and having that be pushed outward and, and action and behavior maybe too. Well, nice guys tend to express their uncomfortable emotions, especially their pent up emotions. And for people listening, you know, one of the questions that I'm often asked, well, if somebody's listening, how can, how can they know if maybe they're a nice guy or a nice girl? And one of the, one of the clearest ways is you, is that you often feel frustration and or resentment. And, and if you're feeling frustrated or resentful, Hey, people just don't appreciate me. I don't, I give and I, but I don't get back. When's it going to be my turn? And if those frustrations and resentments get tend to get expressed in one of two ways. Um, and, and the first way was when I said my, my second wife said, you've got to go to therapy or I'm going to leave you. The, the thing that she was had had enough of was my passive aggressive behavior. And, and passive aggressive behavior is kind of a hard one to kind of get a handle on a lot of times, especially if you're a nice guy or a nice girl. But it use, it's an indirect expression of that resentment or frustration. And usually a nice guy won't say, I'm angry, I'm pissed off, because that's kind of too strong. That, that might, you know, elicit a negative reaction from somebody. Um, the, about the strongest thing I could ever say is, well, yeah, I'm kind of bugged about that. Um, but you know, sometimes you just need to be fucking pissed off about things because you need to be. And, but nice guys have a hard time doing that. So our anger comes out in these really indirect roundabout ways. They're, they're the biting remarks, the cutting comments, the things that hurt the other person's feeling. And you go, Hey, I was just kidding. It was just a joke, mm. but you know, that, you know, mm-hmm. and so if, if you, if you find yourself saying that a lot, I was just kidding. I didn't mean anything by it, but the people around you are hurt. Um, probably passive aggressive behavior. It also gets manifested in, in not following through on things. Um, I, I would reveal intimate or vulnerable things about my wife to other people that would get back to her. It, it was just, it's all this kind of shadowy gray underground, you know, the person doesn't quite know that somebody's like pissed at them or, or trying to hurt them, but they've got all these daggers in their back and they don't know how they got there. Um, that's how you know you're living with a passive aggressive person. You got all these little slices and it's not one big cut. It's just a, a lot of little slices. And I always look at it this way and maybe there's a better way to define it, but it seems as though, uh, so that's one of my pet peeves is passive aggressive behavior because it's like perceiving something as a threat and then taking action, a threat that doesn't exist and you're perceiving that threat and you're reacting to it. And it's just creating again, something all around a false impression of this false 
threat or fake fear, right? Um, how can we, or can you wrap our head around passive aggressive behavior? I mean, we've all kind of understand it a little bit, but you know, what are some examples here? Well, 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 for me, as I said, it, it would often be in the in the in the cutting or biting remarks. Um, you know, so a little gaslighting and projecting too. Then, right? Like if you were telling people you knew your wife would be upset about you revealing something, you were doing that, whether subconscious or not, to f with her, right? To to but, get her, right? But here's here's the thing. Usually, you don't know that you're doing that. That's why it's called passive aggressiveness. <laughs> right. it, it, it probably could be called unconscious, right? Blindly aggressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it is not that it's such a passive behavior. It's just it's just not a, an outwardly aggressive behavior directly to the person. Um, but but here's the thing, and here's how how people can start paying attention to it. It, it again is paying attention to that that buildup of resentment and frustration. If you find yourself rehearsing conversations uh, with somebody that you never have, if you find yourself in your head arguing your case like to God or the great referee in the sky that's supposed to, you know, blow their whistle and put the other person in the penalty box or something. Mm -hmm. When you just find that internal dialogue going on and, and every time, you know, you have a thought about the person, something, you know, this animosity is, is building inside. That's, you're probably being passive aggressive and don't even know it. It, it can get, again, manifested in unavailability, in not following through, in unkind words, in revealed secrets. Um, and, and when I mentioned that there's two ways that this tends to get expressed, both in the passive aggressive behavior, but in something else in the book I call victim pukes. And that is where this stuff just builds up for so long that it just something, you know, that, that, that straw that breaks the camel's back. And like all of a sudden you're just ranting and raving about all, you know, you're, you're now running every one of those conversations you'd already spun in your head and every kind of mean and hurtful and biting and poking and, and dismissive thing you've been saying in your head now comes out. And, and, and again, it always catches the other person completely by surprise. And my ex-wife used to ask me at times after I'd have a victim puke, she said, uh, how long has this been bothering you? And um, I, I would have to sit and ponder and go, uh, six months maybe. And she'd go, it never crossed your mind to talk to me about it? And i go, actually not once. Hmm. And, and that is what is so both crazy and ironic that, that, that a person, and this would include me, could sit there and spin about a resentment, you know, maybe just throughout the day and night and for days and weeks and months, and it never crossed your mind, maybe I need to have a conversation with this person about it. Yeah, and likely they're feeling it, right? Oh, more than likely. They 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 know something's there, and that kind of goes back to when I said I, I I dated some nice girls. Is that I could feel something was up, and um, but you know I, I would even ask, you know, is there anything up? Uh, oh oh no no no, and, and and then maybe sooner or later because because I was such an experienced nice guy, I would start seeing you know the the signs of that pent up resentment or frustration or unspoken unspoken um, uh, issues and. And it's like when you're on the other side of it, as you've mentioned that you've been a number of times, you're just going, why is this so hard? Why don't they just say, 
Hey, I'd like you to pick your socks up instead of just throwing them on the floor. Why, why is that so hard? But for the nice guy, their, their fear is that that will create some kind of major conflict and battle. And nice guys are just terrified of conflict, just terrified of it. Yeah, you know, I experienced this uh, in identifying a people pleaser that I was like, okay, I can't date this people pleaser. Nice, again, nice person. <laughs> um, uh, and actually, towards the end of the relationship, I said, you know, you sh- I heard about this book you might want to read. <laughs> Right, it was your book. Um, uh, he his neighbor was going to be like pressure washing his house or something, and he had just cleaned his house. And he was like, "I'm worried that a bunch of junk's going to spray in my new house." And I'm wondering, I don't know if I should talk to him about putting up a thing and to protect. And it, he had like already was rehearsing the conversation and the resentment of it already happening. Right, the negative outcome. Mm-hmm. His house. Are, I said. Why don't you just go next door and go, hey, man, I hear you're going to pressure wash your house. I just clean mine. Is there a way you can have your workers like set up some tarps or whatever to kind of and I go, that's 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 that conversation. Yeah, it, I, I tell people. And, and he, he's like, he's like, well, that sounds really easy. And I go, it, that's you just been spending in your mind for a week already resentful of your neighbor who hasn't done anything wrong. You're already assuming the worst. And all it takes is a friendly. You don't need to be an asshole. You just need to go, hey, and. He actually went and did it, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, no problem. We'll put – and he was like, wow, that was easy. And I was like, yeah, boy, you wasted a week of frustration and resentment, hating your neighbor, conversations in your head. And then at that point, I was like, all right, listen, I could either spend the rest of my life coaching this guy or I could just find someone who's not a people pleaser. So I decided to do that. Um, but it, it is – it could be in the simplest of – of quote confrontations or speaking up for for anything. Yes, Uh, and as you've said, that's such a beautiful example because there's really not even a conflict situation there other than a fear of a conflict that that the that the nice guy had, and as you kind of coached him up on it, one of the things that I tell nice guys um, use the two sentence rule. Uh, almost everything can be said best in two sentences or less. And often, if you just go to somebody, say, yeah, you, know, like you say, hey, heard you're going to be pressure washing your house. Uh, any ideas what we can do to make sure you know don't get any spray on mine? You know, it's two sentences. And you're working, you're working together. You're a team. You're solving, you know, what could be, you know, a common problem and you're working together. And as you said, here, here is what surprises nice guys so much. And I see this a lot, you know, when I, in therapy and couples therapy and group therapy, when I work with them is that when they finally do get around to just asking for what they want, they are so friggin' amazed at how responsive and helpful people are. Yeah, and and how you see that whatever fear you had, this tape you're running in your head, it was okay. You know, it 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 was just a false narrative going on. Yeah, it was, it was just projection. You're, you're, it's, it's usually projecting that really old childhood dynamic that the world is like my family, and if I'd asked for what I wanted in my family, the all hell would have cut loose. But, you know, we think the world's the same way. So if we ask for what we want, that there's going to be all hell to pay for it. And, um, and, you know, there's a lot of good people out there in this world that are happy to be considerate of our needs and wants and happy to help us get our needs met. Well, and what's funny is in the spirit of secretly deep down all you really want is people to love you or like you or appreciate you the number one way to do that is to be the most authentic you can because in my experience because i'm a very no bs person you will get the most admiration and respect from friends family colleagues where everything in the world if you just speak your mind and you speak up and you're true to yourself if you're a no bs person and you just tell it like it is i mean obviously we edit ourselves in appropriate situations but for the most part that's what I have found people really respond to. 
They just respond to authenticity. Uh, that's kind of the name of the game. So it's like they're headed five steps in the direction behind what their true desires are. It it's that that's a tough thing. I mean, it's I, I, I I've seen it with uh, with nice girls too as well. I mean, it's um it's really about speaking up and speaking your truth. And when people do it, it's amazing to see how empowered they become and how the, and, and the confidence, right? I mean, the only way to gain confidence is to be yourself and then see that people don't hate you for it <laughs> and they actually like it. Yeah. And that's why I tell people that, you know, to start this process, go find some safe people and practice, you know, being you and putting the things out there that you fear people will reject you for or will shame you for and realize they don't. And, um, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head with the authenticity that uh, whether I'm coaching single men, you know, as they live their life and, and maybe interact with women or coaching men in relationship, um, especially in the dynamic between men and women, um, is that women, most women have dealt with so many inauthentic men in their lifetimes, men with hidden agendas, men with only one agenda, men that were not honest with them, men that would not follow through. That when a man is authentic, especially in a relationship with women, it's like such a breath of fresh air that women just go, you know. It, it's so and, attractive. And, and it's, it's so attractive. attractive. But, but There's nothing they, more attractive. But then they start questioning, what's his agenda? <laughs> you know, he's, he's so authentic. This can't be true. And, and you know, one of the things that I, I, when I do my workshops and seminars, um, for me, one, one of the, one of the compliments I enjoy hearing the most, and I hear it quite a bit, um, is afterwards is people saying, you know, Robert, what I like so much about working with you is that you are so authentic. And I tell people I would not have been accused of that 25 years ago. Nobody would have <laughs> said to me, Robert, you are so authentic. You know, they would have said, Robert, you, you are so like plastic and one dimensional. I don't know who you are. Um, but yeah, being authentic just means being you, you know, warts and all, you know, and it's okay to be authentic about your insecurities. Um, and, and just, uh, there's a, a, an online marketer and I, and I like this quote, I'm taking it out of the context that he used it, but, it, but he talks about online marketing in terms of the 2.0, having a relationship with your customer. And he says, when you're being your authentic self, you have no competition. And oh, I, that's great. I, I tell men that all the time when it comes to like the whole dating thing and guys think, well, I have to be an alpha to get a woman's attention. You know, I've got to be this testosterone, you know, laden, you know, blah, 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 blah. no, be you, be you, be authentic. And, and guys will say, well, you know, well, being me doesn't seem to attract women. And I'll say, well, probably there's two things wrong with that statement. Number one, you probably actually have never let a woman really see you. Uh, you probably have just tried to let her see the things you think she'll, she'll want to see. And so probably you've actually never really been uh, yourself with a woman. Um, and then the other thing is, is if you don't think that, that somebody's going to like you just for you are, when people do sh show signs, what we might call indicators of interest, that they you know are, would like to talk to you or like to connect with you, often nice guys don't believe that that's really happening. Oh, they're just being nice or you know they're looking at somebody else or they're not really interested in me. And because of our self-limiting beliefs, we don't walk through those open doors that would actually let us experience somebody wanting to get to know us and wanting to connect with us just as we are. 
Yeah, very well said. And on the alpha note, I like to say that, you know, I've met quiet alphas. So, you know, I think that alpha is so misinterpreted. I'm using the positive connotation for male and females in that, you know, an uncoached alpha might be the bravado and the testosterone, but that's not security. That to me is not true alpha. True alphas are really innerly confident. And I've seen some of the strongest alpha men be the quietest men in the room. In fact, mm-hmm. sometimes they're the most alpha because they don't care. They can stand in the corner of a party, look at everyone. Someone might go, oh, that poor guy over there in the corner alone. No, he's fine. He's fine. He's just yeah. observing. I have a friend like that and he's super alpha. It's just not outward alpha. So so if you're out there as a guy and you're like, I'm not that dude, no one's saying you should be that dude, but to, but to move towards alpha just in terms of authenticity, leadership, you know, and and standing up for oneself and their ground, that doesn't take bravado or loud voices. That just takes honesty and authenticity. And so you can be a quiet alpha, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? It, well, I'm, I'm sitting here going, man, you really get this. Um, it, it makes perfect sense. And, and you know, I work a lot with single men and, and a lot of them get into the Internet stuff talking about alphas and betas and, and this and that. And um, and I tell guys, it's, it's this simple. And it's just kind of another way of framing what you just said that I tell a guy, if if you approach a woman, uh, maybe because you find her physically attractive and now you approach her and you want to get her attention and you want to get her to like you and you want her to, to you know, to want to spend time with you. And you, of course, eventually want her to get naked with you or want to be your girlfriend. I said, you've automatically put yourself in the one down beta position and put her in the one up alpha situation. She is now the decider. You are working really hard to get her to like you, approve of you, want to be with you. And in general, that does not turn women on. It doesn't attract women because you've put yourself in that one down pleaser. I want to get you to like me mode. And so the very thing that you're trying to do, as you've already mentioned a couple of times, actually works against you. It takes you in the exact opposite direction of what you want. But if you're not trying to get people to like you, if you're not trying to make a good impression, if you're just being you and getting to know people and letting them get to know you, in my experience, you'll start noticing that people are looking your way a lot. Maybe they come start conversations with you. Uh, It's just an interesting switch of dynamic when you're not trying to get people to like you. Well, yeah. And, you know, I've, I've had this conversation with a couple of uh, male friends who are uh, trying to reform themselves as people pleasers. And before dates, I would hear things like, I don't know. I mean, you know, what if she doesn't like me or well, I don't know. If and I was like, hold on a minute. You should be walking to that date going, let's see if I think she's good enough for me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I tell guys, hey. That's how I walk in every day. And I'm not like, oh my God, I hope he likes me. I'm like, let me just see if I think this person, all that cares is my opinion. And by the way, isn't that interesting that you would walk into a stranger scenario such as a date and automatically give the power of what someone else thinks about you and have that affect you to a stranger? How do you know the person you're on the first date isn't like a serial killer killed five ex-husband? I mean, you know, if you found <laughs> if you found that out, would you be trying to impress her? No, right? You wouldn't. So it's about, hey, you're just getting to know someone. And it's about you and what you think of them. And the tables have to be turned that way, right? It's not, I hope they like me. Right away when you say that, ugh, you've just put yourself in that situation, that weak position. Yeah, and and this is such um, a counterintuitive thing for a nice guy or a nice girl um, of what you're saying is that I tell guys, be the decider. 
You be the decider. And just like you said, you decide, is this, is this person a cool person? Do I like hanging out with them? How do they fit into my life? Not like, you know, how do I fit into their life or how do I get them to like me or how do I get, you know, you know, all, all that stuff. And because the trying to get them to like you is pretty much you're ensured that they're, they're you know, even if they like you as a person, they're probably not going to feel much towards you. They're not going to feel that what I call emotional tension that a person needs to feel to want to keep seeing somebody. But if you are being the decider, and one of the things I tell guys about dating, dating is not a process of getting somebody to like you, want to have sex with you and stay with you. Dating is a process of you consciously observing what is this person's nature and how do they fit into your life. That's a great, great way to put that. And, and it just shifts the entire dynamic because a lot of it, you know, there's people going to, you know, they start dating somebody, they kind of fall head over heels, maybe start having sex. And now one or both of them start demonstrating bad behavior. And instead of saying, wait a minute, that behavior is not acceptable to me. If you want to hang out with me, you have to do it this way. You know, all of a sudden we start trying to manage that and fix it and we avoid it. And now we, we, we start spending, and I've done this, you know, years with a person who doesn't treat you well just because you started trying to manage bad behavior instead of asking yourself real early on all right what is this about what does it say about the person's nature and how does that fit into my life and do i want that and does this feel good or am i sitting here resentful and ticked off yeah right i mean we got to go back to the emotions you're feeling too to identify whether it's right or wrong right if you're happy and you're feeling great and it's blissful likely you're not in a bad <laughs> situation but but if you are you'll feel it, right? Our emotional indicators, it will tell you. you it know? will tell you. You'll feel it. You'll be feeling anxious, stressed, worried, um, you know, all, all kinds of stuff that doesn't feel good. And then you try to override it and try to get the situation to change so you don't feel those negative feelings. Yeah, I. Uh, it, it really is about, you know, I'm sure you know, part of this is developing that inner confidence, which can be built by slowly acting as if and, and making small moves. I would love to, you know, I know you've worked with so many people over the years, and I know you yourself are recovered. Um, any stories you can share, a little like 180s of, of scenarios that you've seen, whether it's like, oh, I knew a guy who was married five times, he finally, you know, like finally <laughs> figured out. I'd love to hear some some sort of, you know, success stories. You know, one story, and I don't know why this one just came to mind. Um, it was with a guy who was was in one of my uh, no more Mister Nice Guy groups. Um, when when I was in private practice up in the Seattle area, at one time I was leading five men's groups a week, and some of them were just with single guys, some were married guys, some were kind of mixed. And I remember one of the guys um, in my group was really unhappy in his marriage, and he was and he was a good guy, wasn't just a nice guy. He was a good guy. Um, and his wife wasn't a bad person, but she was very extreme OCD, um, highly intelligent and highly manipulative. And she would use their daughter against him and manipulate him constantly. And and she like was smart enough that she could stay, you know, four or five chess moves ahead of him. And he, he was always trying to please her and always trying to make her happy. You know, he had to put on coveralls anytime he pumped gas in the car, take the coveralls off, take the rubber gloves off, put them in a bag because his wife was so OCD about so many things. Um, and, and she was mean. Um, and I remember, you know, he, he, he was in one of my groups made for a couple of years and, um, and, you know, you can tell he was obviously unhappy. Well, he took one of my principles that I teach to, to single guys. And the principle is simply get to rejection quickly. 
And and that just means instead of trying to please somebody and you know keep this thing going for as long as possible, find a, I tell guys go as slowly as as possible to find out as quickly as possible what a person's nature is, and then be willing to get to rejection. If you find out they're not a good fit, say nice to meet you, move on. Um, but but do that you know get there quickly. Don't don't stay you know fourteen years with the wrong person. Um, and so one group, he, 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 came, he came into group and he said, hey, this week I decided to, to apply that principle that, that, you know, you teach to single men. And everything that I thought, you know, in my relationship with my wife, I thought if I do this, she's going to be upset. I did it. Or I thought if I don't do this, she's going to have a reaction. I didn't. I quit letting her be, you know, the barometer of what my behavior were. I was willing to find out one way or another, you know, what was I, was it really going to be a price to pray if I did it my way and didn't do it her way? And apparently it just, it just blew the relationship up, just blew it up. And he came back in the very next week and he said, we're filing for a divorce and I've never been happier in my life. And, and it, it took like, you know, it's just two weeks of, of him practicing something that I teach guys, hey, practice this on the first and second and third date. Um, he did it for two weeks in his marriage, just quit quit trying to manage everything, let it get to rejection quickly. And he walked out of that. And within about six months, he met somebody else who treated him like gold that just, you know, was everything he ever could have wanted in a relationship, mainly because he, he was willing to take that risk to let things blow up. And, and let them spin out of control a little bit. And he had the support of the group doing it. But what just amazed me was just how he just on his own decided that was going to be his mantra, uh, kind of like George Costanza doing the opposite of everything and <laughs> getting a job with the Yankees. So that, that's, right. that's, one, that's one of the stories that just stands when you ask. For some reason, that one just popped up. I, I've always liked that story. You know, I'm wondering if this is uh, something that I've noticed. And this is a this is a pet peeve of mine when I see it with couples. So if I, it goes either way, but it kills me when I see a woman masculate her man, boyfriend, husband, doesn't matter in front of other people, right? Talking down to him, making a snide remark. It could be something like the guys talking with his friends and they're like, Oh, I love fishing. And the guy goes, I love fishing too. And the wife goes, yeah, right. When's the last time you went fishing? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that makes me die. It makes me want to point to the woman and go, if you think you're looking cool, you're an asshole, you just look like a bee, and you, dude, are weak as F. You are weak, and you're letting this happen to you. Um, and so I guess for people out there, if you see couples like that, and one of them's your friend, the guy or the girl, you know that that's an indication they might be a people pleaser if they're accepting that. Because if that's allowed to happen and they let that, because it wouldn't be allowed if someone did that to a guy where that they would just go pull them out of the room and go, I'm sorry, did you, what, how, I'm not going to allow you to talk to me like that. Or, Hey, that was nasty. They wouldn't yeah. accept it, but clearly they've been accepting it forever because the woman's just going to keep on doing it. And again, this goes both ways, but you know, yeah. um, and so it, it, it that's kind of an indication of people pleasing, isn't it? Accepting of that kind of junk. Yeah. You know, when you're saying that, I, I spoke at a conference in Orlando. It was, it was a men's conference just uh, last fall. And I remember I got into an elevator. And so I'm here. This, I'm speaking at the conference, but I also, you know, I, I hung out for the weekend. And so got to hear a lot of great speeches, be around a lot of men wanting to work on themselves. And um, I remember I got into an elevator on like Saturday or Sunday afternoon and um, two couples got in. One was a young couple that I'd seen them the night before. I think they just got married and they were having a celebration honeymoon. And 
and you and they're a young couple, and the woman is somewhat taller and bigger than the man, and you could just tell she just you know she she called the shots. She was and he, he was he was always he was looking down at the floor. She'd get in the elevator. She'd start up conversations with others. She would kind of you know lead him out, push him in, blah blah. And I thought, oh, she's already in charge. But at the same time, an older couple came in, probably in their 70s, and you can probably tell they'd been with her forever. And the guy, like, pushed the button on the elevator, and his wife immediately started chewing him out for pushing the wrong button on the elevator. And I thought, oh, man, I'm looking at, at, at a young couple, you know, the day after their wedding, and this older couple that who knows how many years that dynamic's gone on. And 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 it is painful to watch. And, and you know, this goes back to getting, being willing to get to rejection quickly. I remember I was dating one woman who had this tendency to just kind of, you know, just snap and blow up. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember just telling her, you know, this would be at home. This wouldn't even be in public. And um, I'd say, hey, you know, this is a few years ago. I'd say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm 50-something years old. Nobody gets to snap at me. I said, if you want to hang out with me, just ask for what you want. You know, just say, you know. Oh, can we just stop there? I want to highlight how awesome that is. You're like, hey, I'm not going to be spoken to like that. If you want to have a, that's how this goes, (laughs) right? I mean, it just, and I bet she probably, what, piped back down? Well, you know, she, she was, she was a strong woman and, and, and I, she had a lot of traits I really liked. And, and, you know, at first she, she would get just a little bit pissy about it and then she'll go, yeah, you're right. I say, listen, and instead of coming home saying, why didn't you wash the dishes? Why, when you leave in the morning, you say, would you mind washing the dishes that are in the sink? And usually I didn't because the kitchen was her domain and she didn't, you know, use it. So I, okay, I, I won't, I won't mess with her domain. And, um, and she would, yeah, why don't you wash the dishes? I said, listen, <laughs> I said, I'm 50 something years old. You know, nobody gets to snap at me. If you want to hang out with me, just ask me for what you want. I'll be happy to do it. And and it, and it is real simple to just ask for what you want. And also, a uh, story in my life never hurts to ask. Almost every single time I do, it's a yes. And what if I never did? Well, then I guess we'd never find out, right? So you had nothing to lose, you know, or you might yeah. have something to lose, but if you do, then that's a thing worth losing. Because if someone's not okay with that, then they're not okay with you. And again, getting to rejection as soon as possible. Yeah. And the, the, the relationship did end. I, you know, I, I told her at some point, at a point, I said, listen, the, you're using all the tools you use to manage your mother and your father when you were 14. You know, you were rebellious, you were, you know, angry, you were defiant. And I said, maybe that worked when you were 14, but it, it's not going to work with us. You're going to have to add some more tools to your toolbox. And she goes, well, don't tell me what to do. I said, you know, really, you, you need to go work with someone. You need to go get a coach, go get a therapist. She goes, don't give me ultimatums. And I said, relationships are all about ultimatums. You know, you have to behave well or I'm not going to hang out with you. And um, and I tell you what, she let the relationship end purely because she didn't want to perceive I gave her an ultimatum that said she needed to go work on her anxiety responses. And after I broke up with her, she went to therapy and, and thanked me for it later oh, on. Oh, that's nice. But she wouldn't, she wouldn't do it while we were together. Well, that's a great ending to that. I mean, at least it's nice to know that she actually, uh, that you speaking up and not being a people pleaser launched some healing for someone else who needed it on the other end of barreling over others. Absolutely great. Tell us, I know you're in, uh, you, you live in Puerto Vallarta, beautiful Mexico. I know you, you write, you lead workshops and seminars. Um, and I know you have numerous online courses, you know, courses focusing on personal growth, relationships, sexuality. Um, what are some of the, I mean, let's, I guess we can just, uh, touch on briefly, 
sexuality and career. I mean, I guess all of this would transfer to that. Do you have anything to say on those two topics in this people-pleasing realm? <laughs> yeah, they're huge. Um, uh, yeah, I, I actually have a course, and, and I, I teach several online courses, as you mentioned. The first one that I developed was actually just before the book, uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy, came out, and Barnes & Noble asked me to, to put it together as an online course that they presented for a little while. But it's called Nice Guys Don't Finish Last, They Rot in Middle Management. And, <laughs> That's hysterical. And and basically what it is is that most nice guys are good at being good but not great at being great. And the reason why are all the same reasons we're talking about. Not asking for what you want, having covert contracts, helping other people solve their problems rather than you solving your problems, um, you know, letting things build up without expressing your wants, your needs, what's bothering you. So all those same things get in the way. And nice guys often have a great fear of of being successful because it puts them in a spotlight. And if you've been living your entire life trying to hide thir- certain things about yourself and your fear, if people really found out who I really am, you know, oh no, whatever that oh no is often is very unconscious. So that means even being really successful means that there'll be more expectations of me. I'll be in a brighter spotlight. More people will be watching me now. And, it, and it's a piece that I've had to work on it myself when I when I was writing the book. Um, I, I got to where I was just virtually finished with it, and I couldn't finish it. And um, and I had to go back into therapy just to finish the book. And what I realized was I just had this fear that you know it wasn't going to be good enough. I'd be criticized. That it you know put a negative spotlight on me. And um, it was just all those fears that I'll be seen. I'll be found out. Um, so there's that that fear of being found out, that imposter syndrome that a lot of nice guys and nice girls have in the business world. So it manifests there. And you mentioned sexuality, and this maybe is one of the areas that the nice guy syndrome maybe shows up as powerfully as anywhere. Because as I mentioned really early on in the conversation, when nice guys start hiding things about themselves, um, their sexuality is one of them. And so as children are developing as, as sexual beings, um, if you have any, any sense of, oh, no, if people knew this about me, which pretty much over, almost every little kid thinks that, um, that, that, oh, no, I'll be in trouble, I'll go to hell, I'll be bad, I'll get, you know, I'll get whipped or, or whatever. So most people, but especially nice guys, nice girls, hide most aspects of their sexuality. And anything that we tend to hide, we tend to develop shame about. And the shame is a sense of, oh, no, I, not just I've done something bad, but I am bad. So the, a lifetime of hiding uh, really builds a, a very deep, intensive uh, shame. And, and that can be especially true around sexuality, something that is so already shame-ridden in our culture, as it is anyway. And so uh, that can manifest in so many ways. And probably one of the most predominant ways I see it manifest in the men that I work with is through hidden sexual behaviors like pornography, um, massage parlors, prostitution. And uh, most nice guys have spent their lives hiding their sexuality. But it's not something you can just put a lid on or hide. It's going to manifest. It's going to find it's too powerful. It's too goddamn strong to keep a lid on it. And it usually eases out in these hidden, dark, underground ways. So I've seen so many single men that, you know, never get out of the house and actually go talk to a woman because, you know, they're spending all their sexual energy sitting in front of a computer looking at porn and masturbating. And I've seen in, in so many. And what happens is most of these guys think, oh, once I get a girlfriend, then I'll quit. Um, they don't, um, Mm -hmm. they get a girlfriend or get a wife 
and then it just goes more underground. Yeah, and it makes course, it even more problematic. It is more problematic because they're choosing, you know, porn over a real live human being. Um, you know, I tell guys it's called a sex drive because it's supposed to drive you to another human being with body parts, not to your computer screen, not to your hand. Um, but then in a relationship, you know, it just goes further underground. At some point, the wife or girlfriend is going to find out about it, going to be devastated, going to, you know, just have her feelings hurt. And the guy's going to apologize, say, I'll never do it again, throw out his stash, you know, you know, erase the cash, do, you know, all, and, and it always starts up again. So, and it's because of that lifetime of it feels more normal to have this hidden, toxic-based sexuality than just have an open, expressive, visible sexuality with other real-life human beings. Right, and when that former becomes your norm, then that becomes what is attractive, right? And it's almost like the people, like, people are like, how could a woman keep going back to the guy that keeps beating her? You're like, oh, that's just because there's the, the association, and, and it needs, you need to rewire your brain, right? It needs to be rewired to associate that was something else. And so, yeah, that's a process. Um, in rap, gosh, so much good stuff here. So many people uh, responded to the post I wrote about people pleasing, and I wanted to have you on. I did put a picture of your book on there in a, in a sea of some other books, but uh, this book has really helped uh, a friend of mine. And I wanted to share you with everyone. Aside from your, your website and seminars, do work one-on-one with people. How can we benefit? I know, and we'll put all of the links in the show notes. They can go to drglover.com, D-R-G-L-O-V-E-R.com. How can we benefit from you? Well, um, you've pretty much done a pretty good job of, of promoing me. I, I do very little one-on-one work anymore. The, the combination of wanting to live in Mexico and uh, wanting to reach a broader audience kind of went hand in hand. So I, I quit doing private practice oh, about eight, nine years ago and and continued to do online consultation for a period of time, but have pretty much cut that almost all the way back just because I, I wanted to reach a, a bigger audience to spend my time. So I, I, I now I'm spending quite a bit of time writing. I, I do workshops and seminars, some public speaking. I have an online university uh, that I call TPI University, Total Personal Integration. I have uh, classes on, on relationship, on work and career. Um, I have a, a, another guy that teaches a course for on ADD for me. Um, so people can uh, do workshops, seminars with me, take my online classes. I've recorded over 200 podcasts on dating and relationships and work and careers. So those are available on my website. Uh, so there's there's lots of ways people can uh, take advantage of, of what I have to offer. Um, and, and as you say, they either just go to drglover.com or if they Google no more Mr. Nice Guy or Google Robert Glover, I've got the top several spots on both of those pages. Anything else, any last notes you'd like to leave our audience with? Any parting thoughts? You know, th- this has been good because we've really dug down deep into a lot of stuff. So, you know, I would just say again, um, if you recognize yourself in this or recognize somebody that you know, uh, you you mentioned, you know, you've mentioned my book to, you know, like an ex. Um, I, I can't tell you how many men, that, you know, have contacted me either back when they joined a group or, or they've sent me an email and they'll tell me either their wife or an ex-girlfriend or ex-wife gave them my book. Um, so, um, 
you know, if you are a nice guy or a nice girl, can relate to it. Uh, I'll go back to, you know, if you're a nice guy, nice girl, don't try to do this alone. Um, reach out. You know, if you want to send me an email, I've got an assistant, assistant and that's all the assistant does is just kind of help direct people to where they might best get their needs met and, and working on these kinds of issues. So don't try to do it alone. Um, really put yourself in a situation where you can practice being honest, being real, being yourself, revealing yourself, getting more honest feedback, practice making your needs a priority, surrounding yourself with people, uh, professionals, institutions that can help you get your needs met, practice asking for what you want, practice receiving. And I tell you what, though, just those things right there, you know, you know, not going it alone, practicing being honest and real and transparent and practicing making your needs a priority and receiving those alone can be amazingly transformational. Thank you so much for your time, your wisdom. Uh, again, we will have all the links in the show notes to connect with Dr. Glover. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Al, thanks for the invitation. This was fun. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. It used to be called Primal Calm, and the key ingredient in this formula is called Phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress, whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind. We're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life. And when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill. Because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout, but instead this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that foggy brain function, maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy stressful day. This stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage. So I like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.